Welcome to the Creekside Community Church Podcast. If you don't yet follow Jesus, we want to provide you with a safe place to explore the Christian faith. If you are a Christian, we want to provide you with resources to help you grow in your faith and ultimately serve Jesus more effectively. For more information or to partner with us, visit our website at creekside.cc. Subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages. We hope this content helps you take your next step with Jesus. When Pastor Luke asked me to preach this week, he said we were going to continue in our study of Luke, this week getting into the Lord's Prayer. And that was going to be the focus of what I'm talking about today, chapter 11, if you want to get ready in your Bibles. But as I was putting this together, it really became apparent to me. I mean, I thought I had a pretty decent prayer life. The reality is, I do not. And the sad fact is, I think most Americans don't either. Uh, Barna did a recent study that showed that 69% of American Christians claim that they pray once a week. Let that sink in. We have the opportunity to to speak to God on a daily basis, and 7 out of 10 of us only pray once a week to take advantage of that opportunity. Now, how many, think about your families, think about your relationship with your kids or with your wives or husbands. How many of us would be happy talking to our, our spouses only once a week? Not very, not very much. God wants a deeper relationship with that. And I, I think as I went through this, uh, preparing the sermon, I feel like I'm closer and I feel like my, my prayer life has improved. I just pray that those of you out here will have the opportunity to, uh, to have a deeper prayer life as, as well. So today's lesson is not just going to look at the 44 words that are in Luke's gospel that, that make up the Lord's Prayer. I think it's important to look at the, the verses that come after. There's some really key pieces about what he says here. So many people look and say, teach me to pray. Luke, uh, Jesus gives them the prayer and he says, okay, that's what I need to pray. It needs to go much deeper than that. So if you open your Bibles, if you have them, and I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible, starting in verse 1 we read, he was praying in a certain place, and when he was finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now we know from the New Testament that two of Jesus' apostles, at least two, uh, had also been disciples of John. One of them was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. We really don't know who the other one was. It was probably one of these two who made this suggestion to Jesus to please teach them to pray. He saw that both John and Jesus had a very deep prayer life talking to their father. He wanted a piece of that. He didn't necessarily want Jesus to give him a specific words to say, but he wanted to be able to get closer to God through his own prayer life. Lord, teach us to pray is probably one of the most important questions this disciple asked Jesus. According to Andrew Murray in his book, The Deeper Christian Life, the first and chief need of our Christian life is fellowship with God. The divine life within us comes from God and is entirely dependent upon him. As I need every moment of fresh, the air to breathe. As the sun every moment sends down its light, like it is right now. So it is only in direct living communication with God that my soul can be strong. 
This disciple wanted to know God like Jesus and his cousin John did. When our daughter Sarah was, was younger, she had the opportunity to meet one of her childhood heroes, Tim Tebow. This was a highlight of her young life. We still have the picture of her as she's holding the book that had just been signed. She's grinning ear to ear. It was a good moment for her. But this was just an earthly icon. This was not God. How much bigger would our grin be if we could say that we have that level of connection with God? We can. Through Jesus, we can do that. So let's read on in verse 2. Jesus said to them, Whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us and do not bring us into temptation. Now, was Jesus trying to give specific words to the disciples to say when they speak to God? In other words, was the prayer, he's saying, this is what you need to say. This is prescriptive. Look at how he presents the prayer to his disciples. He says, whenever you pray, say. I want you to think about that. I might look back to when I was a firefighter and I was sworn in. They, I had to say my oath with pretty much the same thing. They say, repeat after me. Now, repeat after me is pretty much the same as say this. Ooh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> Luke didn't tell me I was going to have to do this in a cyclone, but that's okay. Um, so it sounds like almost a command. This is what you are to say, and this is what I expect you to say. And there's some, there's some reasoning behind that. Now, I grew up in a, in a Catholic church, which was very uh, liturgical, which means that they say the same thing every week after week. So what they say here is the same thing that they say in Massachusetts or wherever you're from, to keep it, keep it common. Uh, so for me, yeah, it made sense. I had to learn at a very early age what we call the Our Father. Thank you so much. That's helpful. I had to learn the Our Father at a very early age because it was something that was meant to be prescriptive. Um, Another reason for, for supporting this model was not, not just the word say and not just what followed, but Jesus was talking to Jewish men that were following him. These people were used to having prescriptive prayers. They said the same prayer in the morning when they woke up, at night when they went to bed, and in mid-afternoon. They also had very precise prayers that they had to pray when they made certain donations to the uh, temple, for example. Certain sacrifices, they had to say specific words as they're laid out in the Bible. So it was very common for them. The Shema was taught to children at a very young age. And we're going to read that in a little bit. It's uh, in Deuteronomy 6, 4, 9. Very similar to what we learn with the Lord's Prayer. This is a very prescriptive prayer that they hear. So in Deuteronomy 6, 4 and on, it says, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Where else do we hear those words? Jesus says that is the most important commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. 
observant Jews still practice these. If you go into one of their, their homes, you're going to see what's a little box by the door. It's called a mezuzah. And within that mezuzah are these words that I just read. As they leave or enter the house, they are to touch that mezuzah. And it's to remind them of their relationship to God. It brings the words to mind. It is written on their heart. That is the purpose of these words. And that's, that's a very prescriptive reason for that. In the same way, memorizing the Lord's Prayer is a good way of writing God's word on our own hearts. Prayer will always be with us in a difficult situation when you have nothing to think of. You, you don't know what to say in the situation. You have the Lord's Prayer. You can say, Our Father who art in heaven. You can say that because it's there. It'll always be with you. They can also be a bridge between Christians from different communities. And I'm going to try an experiment here, and you guys have to help. Okay, okay. I need everybody in here to help. I'm not sure how this will work out like many experiments, but I think it's going to work well. So I'm going to start saying a prayer, and as soon if you know the prayer, I want you to continue it, okay? Are you ready? Ready. Okay. As I lay me down to sleep, I pray, I pray the, the Lord, Lord my soul to keep. keep. If Be I thou with me through the night, and soul to take it. It worked. Wait, I like that. So I want you to think about that. We've got ex-Catholics in this room, and I know I'm not the only one. We've got Baptists from a long time. We've got ex-Methodists. This prayer that many of us memorized early on ties us together, just like the Lord's Prayer. So this is a way for the capital C Catholic Church, or the lower lowercase Catholic Church, which I mean the universal church to come together. I think that's awesome. I'm glad that worked. <laughs> okay, concern with, with these scripted prayers is that we can say them without thinking. It just becomes words that are going through our mind. Now, growing up in the Catholic Church, I had to memorize the Our Father at a very young age. I told you that. One requirement at my Catholic school was that we had to go to confession every Friday. In confession, we're supposed to tell the priest every bad thing we'd done the following the previous week. And then he would say, pray a certain number of Our Fathers and Hail Marys as our penance or our punishment. Now, I always thought that the more sins I had committed that week and confessed to, the more I would have to say. So after leaving the confessional, I admit, I would read through my prayers as quickly as I could because I didn't want my friends to know how bad I'd been. <laughs> I wasn't really praying. I was just saying words. It was not, I was not in communion with God. Now, as Protestants, we tend to have a different perspective. We see words more as a model if you, if you talk to most of them. Uh, notice I said a model. It's not the model. It's, we don't all have to say exactly the same model. And there's several examples throughout the New Testament that follow different models. I think the strongest support for that is if we jump over to Matthew's Gospel, starting in 6-9, where we see another example of the Lord's Prayer. And it says, Therefore you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now Matthew's version is significantly different than Luke's, and it's about 15 words longer. If the Lord had wanted us to only use this as a prescriptive prayer, 
we see the same word in both Gospels. We don't. Mm. They are different. And also, Matthew quotes the start of Jesus saying, pray like this. He doesn't say, say this. He doesn't say, uh, repeat after me. He says, pray like this. Although both Gospel writers are reporting on the same instruction, they are reporting it from a different perspective. You've got to assume that Jesus intended his, his prayer to be used both ways. And a lot of different scholars agree with that. A lot of different models have come out of uh, the Lord's Prayer. I prefer, and I'm going to go through this pretty quickly, but I prefer what's called the five fingers model. We could spend a whole sermon on this, but I'd like to summarize it for you. The first finger should be called supremacy, which says, Your name be honored as holy. One of the songs that we just said said, All glory to God, I believe. Exact name. Uh, the, All glory to our maker. And a thousand amens. All glory. That's what this is This is saying. All of our glory, all of our praise should be for God above. He's telling us we need to recognize who God is. God is our creator. God is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is far above us, his creatures. We should pray to him from that perspective, knowing how much bigger he is. The second finger is surrender. Your kingdom come. As we pray, we are turning over all of our desires, all of our wants, all our possessions and plans to God. He tells us to do. Since God is the creator, we're turning everything over to him, giving him the authority over us and praying that he will use his authority over the whole world. The third finger can be called sustenance. Give us each day our daily bread. Now think back to, to Exodus. This is what it's referring to. When the Israelites were in the, in the desert, God provided them bread every day through manna. Each person gathering just what his family needed, no more, no less. Manna sustained the Israelites for 40 years. In this verse, we're asking for the same level of sustenance. And we're not just talking about food here. If you think back to that episode, God provided the Israelites with sandals that didn't fail, with water from rocks, with quail, protection from enemies, many, many things. They were sustained in everything. Jesus is telling us to rely on God to that level. Our fourth finger is supplication. Now this means to ask or beg something earnestly or humbly. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also are forgiven. Also forgive everyone in debt to us. Now this verse implies that God will forgive us only because we have forgiven others. If we're honest, we all have to admit that we cannot do that on our own. As humans, we do tend to hold grudges. We tend to hold, withhold forgiveness from others. If God were to forgive me based on how I forgive others, I'm lost. Same with all of us. So what is he saying here? This God is not asking God to forgive us to the level with which we forgive others. It is a plea from us to him saying, please help us to forgive others the way he forgives us. The way he forgives us. It recognizes our weaknesses, our inabilities, and is a cry for help and a plea for forgiveness from God. Now the final finger is security. Do not bring us into temptation. Now elsewhere in God's word, we know it's clear that we will face trials and temptations on this earth. John 16, 33 says, 
I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. So here, we're not asking God to eliminate our trials, but to keep us from those trials that would overwhelm us. Now, after looking at both sides of the issue, I don't think we can say that the Lord's Prayer is just a model or just a prescriptive prayer. I do think Jesus had both of these in mind. The Bible is infallible. Matthew and John's version are different. So that's, that's one indicator there. I believe he had us look at this on both sides. And again, if you're under stress, if you're unable to think of anything else, if you're unable to pray, the Bible tells us that the, the spirit will just groan within us. But this gives us the ability to, to pray ourselves in those different difficult situations. And when we're able, the model will help us to pray spontaneously and make sure that we have the right focus with God as we go through. Mm. Now, after teaching his disciples how to pray, Jesus goes on to describe what we can expect when we pray. So starting in verse 5, he also said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend who goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up to give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's persistence, he will give up, get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, first thing I want to say, don't read too closely and see God as the grumpy neighbor. That is not the case. Luke 6.38 says, Give and it will be given you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your laps. We know that God does not give sparingly, but abundantly to us. God gives us more than we can expect and is not reluctant when he does. So what is Jesus' point to this story? The most obvious aspect is that the friend of the visitor was willing to boldly ask his neighbor for help. That's not an easy thing to do. Now imagine your friend came up to you and knocked on your door at midnight after everyone is in bed. Is there anybody here who would not be grumpy? Okay, no hands raised up because as I say, you're, that would be a lie in church, not a good thing. The reality is we would be grumpy. That's, that's a tough thing. So that's, he stepped out, he did that. If he had the courage to ask his grumpy neighbor for help, shouldn't we be even more bold when we reach out to our Father who freely and joyfully gives to us? Yes. Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. So yes, we need to be bold, just like this person was reached out. And God expects us to approach him with boldness and confidence when we pray. Now there's another aspect to the story that we often miss in our culture. For us, if a friend stops by at midnight, Reality is most of us could probably pull something from the pantry or from the fridge or from the freezer that we can put together for them. We can order a pizza. We can go to a 24-hour grocery. There are many options for us in today's culture. Now, that was not the case 2,000 years ago. Middle Eastern culture then and even today 
recognizes that when a visitor, a friend, or a stranger arrives, the host is responsible for feeding and entertaining them. We see that as early as Genesis 18 in this interaction with Abraham. And this starts in 18.1 in Genesis. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham at the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting in the entrance of his tent during the heat of the day. Abraham looked up, and he saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to meet them and bowed to the ground. Then he said, My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, please do not go on past your servant. Let a little water be brought that you may wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. I will bring a bit of bread so that you may strengthen yourselves. Abraham showed extreme hospitality. He felt the same responsibility. He knew that not providing for this friend that had come over would be shameful for him. What's often overlooked is that not only the person asking for help, but the neighbor in the entire village would actually be shamed if this person was not taken care of. The entire village. So then this person banging on the neighbor's door, he's not just hoping that his friend will be able to help him. He's expecting him to answer. He's expecting him to help him out so that he is no, he's not ashamed as well. In the same way, we should pray expecting, expecting that God will provide an answer for us. So earlier this year, God started putting on my heart that I retire from my current job. Now this is, for those keeping track, this will be my third retirement, but this will be my final retirement. So you can applaud for that, please, thank you. Now I work for a good organization, I'm surrounded by many believing coworkers, so it's, there's nothing wrong with that. But I felt that God wanted me to move into a more kingdom-focused direction. Now I was afraid to share this calling with anyone, even my wife Cheryl, and I didn't tell her for a while. That's, that's a scary thing to say, hey, I'm not going to be working anymore. Uh, about two months ago, I started asking for a clear sign for confirmation. And so I started every day praying for that sign. About a month after I started praying, I was driving home from a meeting. I prayed as I was sitting in traffic, and as I did, my mind wandered. I mean, we all, our minds wander sometimes during prayer. But it wandered to an event that had occurred about a month ago, a month previously on the job. I was working on my company trailer, uh, the chair I was standing on fell apart. I almost fell out of the trailer. I would have been seriously injured. Probably would have lost my job there and any future uh, ministry. So I was able to twist around, land inside. I was bruised. I was not broken. It was good. So as this came to mind, I heard in the back of my mind, I don't know if you've ever heard something like this, but it said, I already gave you a sign. <laughs> I was not expecting that particular sign, but I do believe it was a sign from God. And actually, after I took action from that and, and gave my boss a one-year notice, I had another confirmation. So I believe it is 100% a, a sign from God, and I did get an answer. So Jesus showed his disciples and us how to pray, and he showed us to pray with expectation, just like I did, and get an answer. Expect that. What else can we expect when we pray? We can expect that what we get back from God, what our answer will be, will good will be good. It may not feel good, it may not seem good in the in the time, but it will be a good answer. So jumping ahead to verses eleven and twelve, we read, "What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, 
We'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus compares God to earthly fathers. Although we don't know much about the, the lives of the apostles, we can assume that most of them probably had adult male role models in their lives that were positive. At least some of them were, were probably married and probably had kids themselves. They knew that a good earthly father would do anything in his power for his kids. Jesus is telling him that his father in heaven will do far more than what their earthly fathers would do. Now hidden in the text is another point. Notice that the children are asking for something good. They are in like mind with their father in this story. The children wanted something good and their father wanted to provide them with something good. In the same way, when we pray, we should be aligned with what God knows to be good for us. What if the kids had asked for something bad? And this is, when I teach class, you know sometimes I go down a rabbit trail, so this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but that's okay. But what if the kids had asked for something that was not good for them? Things that were not aligned with what their father wanted to do. Will a good father give his children something that will hurt him? Absolutely not. We know that. So when our son Matthew was about 14, and I asked him if I could use this story, he asked for a samurai sword for Christmas. There he is back there. Uh, hear the laughter. Any, any parents of teenage kids, who thinks that's a good idea? Probably not. I see a few hands, but I think those are being sarcastic. Not a good idea. Of course not. He was not mature enough at the time. I will say he was persistent. He kept asking every year for a sword. We finally gave in last year. He was now old enough, and he was old enough to buy it on his own anyway. Uh, and he's matured to the point that we said, yes, we, we trust you with this, and so we gave him one. So God will give us what's good. He will not allow us to give us what's bad, just like earthly fathers. And that brings us to our last passage. Verses 9 and 10 say, So I say to you, keep asking, and it will be given you. Keep searching, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who searches finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now this passage emphasizes our responsibilities when we pray. In the original language, asking, searching, and knocking are all imperative words. Imperative meaning they are a requirement, not a suggestion. For kids, if your mom tells you, please clean your room, is that a suggestion or is that a requirement? Mom is expecting that this is, is done. This is saying, even though it may not sound like it, it is an imperative there. You know you better do it or else. Another thing to notice is that these are all asking, searching, and knocking are also present tense words. So Jesus is not saying, pray when you get home or pray when you get to bed. He is saying we should pray immediately. He's saying pray now. So if a prayer request or a uh, something in these prayer comes to you, you need, should be praying for it right away. It doesn't mean you should not also pray for it later, but pray now when it's on your heart. Yeah. Also notice what that God promises to answer your prayers. The one who asks will receive. The one who searches will find. 
and the one who knocks will have the door open for them. All of these verses, verbs are in the future tense, meaning that the answer may not come right away, and in most cases it probably will not. In many cases, it will not come for a long time, but they will come. Warren Wiersbe emphasizes that you should pray for something until you get a yes or a no answer. Otherwise, assume that the answer is not yet. Not yet. It means keep praying because God is still listening. God will answer. Be ready when he does. And as we close, I'd like us to consider that while he was on the earth, Jesus was not just man, but he was also fully God. Even as God, he felt it necessary to pray regularly, frequently, and for long periods with his Father. Shouldn't we pray even more? We're so much less than he was. Certainly, we should pray more than once a week. And that's my prayer this week, is that if you're at the once a week, that we move up from there. I challenge us all to break the once a week mold. Pray weekly, pray daily. If you're already praying daily, pray two or three times a day. If you're praying three times, pray five. The way we learn to pray is by praying. The way we learn to ride a bike is by riding a bike. The way we learn to read is to read. So by the same token, the way we learn to pray is to pray. Please let us do that. We're going to see some amazing responses. I think we already have, and with our church, with the people that came out and helped yesterday, with the donations that have been received for the for the bridge and the continuing construction that will follow afterwards, we have been so blessed because we've been praying. Let's see how effective we can be if everyone in this room prays weekly, not just weekly, but prays daily, prays more. Pray, pray, pray. So as we go, as the worship team comes up, I'd like us to close today where we started talking with the Lord's Prayer. Now you can find the words on the back page of your bulletin, and I'll be using a version that's probably more familiar to everybody. I hope that you can see this in a new light. I pray that these words will be read with confidence, with expectation, and with the, God, with the knowledge that God wants the best for you. So please pray, please bow and let's pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, just as we forgive our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.